1 Corinthians chapter 2. One thing that I really love about studying the different books of the Bible that were written by the Apostle Paul is that he can introduce to us some very profound doctrinal truths. And then right in the middle of some very difficult discourses, he brings us back to foundational items that all of us should already know. First Corinthians is a book that people who are old-time seasoned Christians, you can read this and you can get something from it. It will bless you. But also, if you're new to the faith, you'll also find some very good things that will help you in your Christian life. Well, one of the things that Paul does here in the passage of Scripture that we're going to read today is that he challenges us to identify ourselves in one of three different spiritual conditions. In today's message, we're going to talk about three different types of spiritual groups. And everybody here in the room this morning, you will find you'll fit into one of these three different groups. Now, you're used to hear me saying that there are only two types of people in the world. There are people that are saved and people that are lost. People that are on their way to heaven and people that are not on their way to heaven. And I'm still sticking with that. I mean, either you're a saved person, either you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, or you don't. And I'm sorry to tell you that if you don't know him, you're on your way to hell. But I want to make another distinction here because among the types of people that are going to heaven or the type of person that's going to heaven, there are two types of those people. And uh, it's just a little bit of difference between the way that they go to heaven. The, The one group goes to heaven with a smile on their face and with joy in their heart. And the other group, I'm afraid, is going to heaven miserable and complaining all the time while they go. So we're going to talk about this today. I want you to stand with me, please, as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to begin with verse number 12. And I want you to see if you can find these three different types of people as we read through the text. And I'll help you identify them. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man." For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions... Are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Heavenly Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you'd uh, help us to look into your word today and help me as I preach the message that I might make it clear. There might not be anyone who would misunderstand what we're trying to say today. Lord, help us to identify ourselves correctly here and find out which spiritual group that we really want to be a part of. Bless in the message, and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I read the scripture, I, I tried to help you to identify 
these three different kinds of people. And as I said, most definitely, everybody who's in the room today, you're going to fit into one of these three spiritual groups that I'm going to speak about. Now, the first one that I think that we could identify from the scripture we just read is the natural person, the natural person. And when I, when I talk about Paul mixing profound doctrinal truths along with, with very basic things, I don't think you find it any more or any more clearly stated than what we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 14. There Paul says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You probably recognize that scripture uh, because over and over again, I've read that scripture in, in, in other messages that I preached. And I would tell you this morning that if our Baptist brethren could just get a hold of that one scripture and if they could really understand what this scripture is saying, it would end all of this debate about we, what we have about how that a person really comes to Christ. This, this scripture is stated very plainly and very simply. And yet it does contain some deep doctrinal truth. But what I want you to notice first about this today is that it identifies one of three different people that we're talking about. This is the natural person. Well, what is a natural person? The easiest way that I can explain it to you, I think, is to tell you that a natural person is one who does what comes naturally. This is a person who doesn't have the Spirit of God He's an unbeliever. Uh, He's not been born again by the Spirit of God. And so according to the scripture that we've just read, the Bible says that it's impossible for this person to understand anything at all about how the Spirit moves, about what the Spirit is doing, or even what God wants that person to do in his life. And so consequently, any time that you talk to this type of person, uh, when you speak to him about spiritual matters, it doesn't matter to him at all. He doesn't care about spiritual things because he doesn't really understand what it's all about. This is the kind of person that we were talking about just a few weeks ago. He hears the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ and he considers the preaching of the cross to be foolishness. It makes no sense to him. And there may be someone in the room today that you would fit into that category. You're not a saved person. You don't have any personal relationship with Jesus Christ And even though you may think of yourself as a spiritual person, and many people do, you may think of yourself as a spiritual person, yet you don't have the spirit that these scriptures is talking about. Well, how could you identify? How do you identify a person who's simply a natural person? Well, first we can say about him that he's born into the natural world. A natural person is born into the natural world. And that might seem like a silly thing for me to say because all of us that are sitting in the room today, we've all been born into the natural world. But I make that statement really because I want to make a distinction here. And that is there are some of you who have been born again. You've been born into the spiritual world. Do you remember that discourse that Jesus had with Nicodemus? We find it in John chapter 3. And uh, Nicodemus had come to Jesus and asked him about eternal life. He didn't really understand how a person could go to heaven. And so he's talking to Jesus about that. And Jesus made a remarkable statement to him. He said, unless you're born again, you can never see the kingdom of God. And immediately that thought was foreign to Nicodemus thinking. 
That didn't make sense to him at all. And so we asked the question. He said, well, how could a man enter again into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Well, he didn't understand what Jesus was saying because Jesus was talking about a new birth, supernatural regeneration, being born again by the Spirit of God. Well, if you're a Christian today, you can claim that you have this new birth. You've been born into the natural world and also into the spiritual world. But the natural person I'm talking about and what Paul identifies here, he has not yet been born again. He's just a member of the natural world. I know most of you probably heard of Ted Turner. Ted Turner's the uh, the uh, founder of the Turner Broadcasting Network and of CNN. And there was once a pastor who asked Ted Turner a question. He said, have you been born again? And Ted Turner said, well, no, I, I've never been born again. He said, I feel lucky to be born the first time. And he thought that that was kind of cute. That was a little bit funny. But the Bible teaches us that If Ted Turner never comes to the place that he's born again, he's going to regret the day that he was actually born the first time into this world. When Judas was about to betray Jesus, Jesus said, The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. And so Jesus is telling us, if you've never been born again, If you've not received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there's a day coming when you will rue the day that you were born into this world. So this is the natural man. He's been born into the natural world. So, of course, that means that a natural man can be anybody. Natural man is your neighbor. He may be a good man. He may be a bad man. He may be a doctor, might be a lawyer, might be an Indian chief. All different kinds of people are natural people. They've been born into the natural world. But also, this person who is a natural person has, is blind to the spiritual world. He's born into the natural world, but he is blind to the spiritual world. This is what verse 14 tells us. The natural mind is blind to a spiritual world. Well, that means that his understanding is blinded. So it's impossible for him to understand anything about God. You see, a natural man can come into the congregation today and he can sing all the songs that we've been singing. He can sing about heaven. He can sing about Jesus. But all that information goes right over his head. It doesn't really register with him. It doesn't really mean anything to him. A natural man can come into our congregation and he can appreciate the singing that we do. And he may appreciate the message that I'm preaching today. But it really doesn't have any effect upon him because he doesn't understand spiritual things. So this man is blinded to spiritual things. So he comes into our church and he may appreciate the architecture of this building. He may like the paint scheme that we have. Perhaps he likes those windows back there and and the sunlight shining through that colored glass. He likes all of that and that's pretty good. He may enjoy the chairs that he sits on but he's really blind to everything that's actually happening in this room today. He is blind to the spiritual truth that's going on right in this building. He can't see it. Now, do you realize that there are a lot of things that are going on in the world or going on in this room today? There are a lot of things that are happening in this room right now. Right now, there is a quarterback throwing a pass to a wide receiver downfield. Of course, if he's on the San Francisco 49ers, he won't catch that pass. But 
they're throwing that pass downfield. Right now, there is a cowboy hiding behind a bunch of rocks, and he's shooting at Indians. Right now, there's a crime scene, and there are police cars that are, that are uh, with their sirens blaring, and they're going, going full speed ahead, trying to make it to that crime scene. All of those things are going on in this room this morning, but we can't see any of it. And the reason we can't see of it is because we don't have a receptor that would pick up that signal. But if I came today and I set a television set right here in the middle of the room, some of you'd be very happy about that, but I'd set a television right here and we could pick up all of those signals and we could see that football game, we could see the Western, we could see the crime show, all of that we'd be able to see because we have a receptor that receives that signal. Same thing is true of a radio. Now, we don't have the radio signals that are in here. And, and occasionally I do see some people on Sunday mornings that have things plugged into their ears. And maybe you are receiving a signal. But most of us are not receiving that signal. We can't see it. It's all happening right here, but we're not aware of it. Well, the natural man is exactly that way. There are spiritual things that are going on in this room today, but the natural man knows nothing about it. And the reason he doesn't is because he doesn't have that receiver. He can't pick up these spiritual things. Now, he's like a man with a radio. I mean, you can sit with the radio and watch your radio all day long. But you'll not see a TV program on your radio because radios don't pick up TV reception. And it's the same thing with a lost man, a natural man who comes into our congregation. He sits right here and he hears the message and he can listen to that message. If I were to preach all day long, he can hear every word that I'm saying, but he's not going to understand the spiritual benefit of it because he doesn't have the receiver that picks up the signal. Now, it kind of reminds me of this question. How many fundamentalists does it take to change a light bulb? Fundamentalists don't change light bulbs. They simply read out the instructions and hope that the light bulb will decide to change itself. And that's unfortunately the way that many people are preaching this. They just want to let people decide what they're going to do and make all the decision for themselves and change themselves. But the truth of the matter is people don't change themselves. They can't change themselves and they don't want to change themselves. They don't have the spiritual receptor. And it's not until God comes and he speaks to their heart and he regenerates that person can they now begin to understand the things of the Spirit of God. So, this natural man, he's born into the natural world. He's blind to the spiritual world. But also, he is bound to the physical world. The physical world is all that this person can relate to. Well, of course, he he has a body and a soul, but the body and soul only relate to the physical world. The spirit is dead, the Bible says. Man is dead in trespasses and sin. And so a person cannot relate to the spiritual world. So what he does do, though, is he takes up and 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 he embraces the credo of this natural world. The credo of the natural world says, grab for all the gusto you can get. You only go around once in life, so grab for all the gusto you can get. As another person said, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the can, and let all the rest go. And so they just have the idea that the physical world, this is all that there is. Now, when I talk about 
this lost person or this natural person only relating to the physical world, don't think that I'm saying he's not happy because there are many lost people who are very happy. They enjoy their lives. They enjoy what's going on around them. But this person, though he's happy, he doesn't really have any joy. Now, this person is happy in the same way that a dog is happy. You know, a a dog can can be very happy. I I come home from work, and my dog sees me. He's ecstatic. Every eight-hour period that I spend away from home, it's just like I've been in Tibet for two years. I mean, he is just, he's just so happy to see me. Wags his tail and jumps around. But you know something? My dog is also happy when I open a dog of a, 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 a can of Alpo in the morning. He's real happy about that. And my dog is happy when I turn him over, roll him on his back, and I rub his belly. He likes that. That makes him happy. Well, do you know why animals are so happy like that? The reason is they don't understand that this physical world is not all there is. They don't understand that all of this someday is going to end. They don't know death is coming for them. And then it's all going to be over. And the natural man is exactly the same. The thing that he's interested in is self. He's interested in self-promotion, in self-propagation. He's bound to the physical world as if this is all that there is. So you might fit into that category. You're not a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. You're a natural person. And you're just a person that does what comes naturally. But according to this scripture, that's not all that there is because there are two other types of people. There are two other categories of people, but both of these types of people, they're saved people. So we're going to talk about these two different types of saved people. They're born again, but they're entirely different types. So the second person we're talking about today is the carnal Christian. Carnal comes from the Latin word carnalis, and it means flesh. I'm sure everybody is... You've heard about carnivorous animals. A carnivorous animal is a meat eater. It's a flesh-eating animal. And this is what a fleshly Christian is. A carnal Christian is a fleshly Christian. Well, he's born again. No doubt about that. He's saved. He's on his way to heaven. But he's led by the Spirit. Or not led by the Spirit. He's being led by the flesh. And so he pays attention to the flesh. How do you recognize a carnal Christian? Well, first of all, A carnal Christian is unable to digest truth to grow. A carnal Christian is unable to digest truth to grow. Now, several times before you've heard me say that all of us come into the Christian life the same way. When you come into the Christian life, everybody comes in as a baby. We're all baby Christians. There aren't any people that are born again and immediately they become spiritual giants. It just doesn't happen that way. We all come in to this, to this a newfound life, the new birth in Jesus Christ as a baby. And just like a baby, a person who's born, who has this new birth, he must grow spiritually just like a baby grows physically. All babies need time to grow. Well, little babies are very precious, aren't they? If you know me, you know I love little babies. I mean, it's hard to to really look at a baby and not to think about them. Oh, how cute. How precious is this little baby? I watch our, our little grandbaby sometimes, and she has the cutest actions. You know, sometimes she tries to feed herself, and she smears food all over her face. Oh, that's really cute, you know it? And, uh, and that little baby, she has this real cute little thing that she does when, uh, 
when she hears music, she starts to get her head going and, and she starts to weave the body a little bit. Oh, that's real cute. Well, she's a little baby and she has those baby actions. And so we, we go over to her and, and we make over her and we make faces at her and we, and we tickle her and we baby talk to her. But you know something that I don't do? When Nathan walks into the room, I don't walk up to him and tickle him underneath the chin. I don't make faces at him and I don't try to make him laugh. If he comes into the room and he's sucking on a pacifier or he has his thumb stuck in his mouth, I really don't think that's very cute. Joseph, would you come up here for just a minute? Joseph's going to help me with an illustration here today. Joseph, I'd like you to put this on if you would, please. Can you see if that'll fit you? Now, Joseph's a grown man. He's actually ruined my whole illustration because he's actually very, very cute in this. <laughs> this is not what we expect of grown people, is it? I mean, Joseph's not going to come in wearing this little bonnet and with a rattle in his hand because he's a grown man. Well, you can sit down now. Thank you, Joseph. And you can, no, I'm not going to let you keep that. That belongs to one of our kids. For every Christian, when you're born again, there is a legitimate time when you need to grow spiritually. There's a legitimate time when you're in infancy and you begin to learn about the things of God. But when you've been born again for a long time, when you've been born again for years, when you become a 10-year-old born-again Christian, and when you become a 15-year-old born-again Christian, and you are a 20-year-old born-again Christian, you're no longer a spiritual infant. And if you're still acting like a spiritual infant, that's not cute at all. And that's not the way you're supposed to be. I want you to look at the third chapter here, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 1. He says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. So here in this Corinthian church, there were a lot of spiritual babies. Now, by this time, Paul says, you should have grown up. Uh, I shouldn't have to feed you anymore. I I shouldn't be able to give you the meat of God's word now. But still, I'm having to feed you with milk. I'm having to give you the simple stuff. You know, babies need milk when they're born. A baby can't digest solid food. And so you start out a baby and, uh, with milk. And, and as that baby grows, you start to increase the kind of food that you give him. You start with milk and you move up to cereal. Then when the baby is able to eat cereal, he moves on to strained peas and, and carrots and things like that. Pretty soon that little child is beginning to eat off the table. He's sampling different kinds of foods. He gets into hamburger and finally he gets up there to those good old T-bone steaks. He's growing and he's learning as he goes. Well, Paul tells us that here, he's telling these people, you are still stuck in the milk stage. After all of this time, you're still sucking on milk and I can't get into the deeper truths of God's word. I can't get down there and just teach you the depths of what God wants you to know. And maybe there's some of you like that today. That when I begin to preach a doctrinal sermon, and you say, well, I don't like those doctrinal sermons. Where's the sermon with the jokes in it? Where's the sermon where we, we all get to laugh and have a lot of fun while we're, while we're talking about the Word of God? 
Well, I'll let you in a little bit secret. I think doctrinal sermons are fun. That's what I enjoy doing the most. But some of you may say, well, I don't like that doctrinal sermon. It doesn't tickle me under the chin like I like to be tickled. It doesn't make me laugh like some of the other sermons do. And so here you are, you're sitting in church and you're not happy at all because you can't get beyond the milk of the word. Amy Grant had a song a few years ago called Fat Baby. She sang, he's just a fat little baby. He wants his bottle and he don't mean maybe. He sampled solid food once or twice, but he says doctrine leaves him cold as ice. He's been baptized, sanctified, redeemed by the blood, but his daily devotions are stuck in the mud. He knows the Bible, the books of the Bible in John 3.16. He's got the biggest King James you've ever seen. He's just a fat, 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 fat little baby. Some of you are stuck in the milk. That's your problem. You come to the place or haven't come to the place, I should say, where you can digest solid food. You can't take these great spiritual truths. And maybe the reason is for some of you, you just haven't been in church enough. You don't come to hear the word of God taught. You don't come to listen to the spiritual food as it's meted out to you. And maybe that's why you're still in spiritual infancy. So that's one thing about this about this carnal Christian, he can't digest this food in order to grow. Then the next thing is, he's unwilling to serve others. How much attention does a baby require? Right now on the other side of the building, we have our ladies over there that are taking care of the nursery, and each one of those ladies knows this. You do not leave that room with those little babies in their nursery. You do not leave them. And the reason they don't is because those babies require constant care. When you go to work in the morning, you don't leave your little baby sitting in the living room floor. You make sure that that baby's taken care of, babysitter, whatever, but you don't leave them alone because little babies need constant care. Now, I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 5. If you look there, please, start turning towards the back of the Bible. Uh, go past First and Second Timothy. Stop before you get to James and First and Second Peter. See how long that takes you, and then apply it to the message that I'm preaching today. It's a lot of pressure, I know, so it's okay. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 12. Hebrews 5, verse number 12. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now you see what Paul's saying here? He says, by now, you should have come to the place where you are able to teach others. You should be serving others But unfortunately, you have to go back and you have to learn these first principles of the word of God again. And so in other words, he's saying to them, you're just stuck in the elementary principles. You're still stuck in those little simple things that all Christians should have already gotten over a long time ago. But you have to learn them over and over again. So carnal Christians, they require a lot of attention. And so that means that that I have to spoon feed these carnal Christians all the time. Now, there are actually 
three stages about growth, three levels of growth, and pay attention to these. The first one is that you need to be fed. I mean, if you're a spiritual baby, if you've just been saved, you need to be fed, no doubt about it. And I don't mind doing that. I love to do that. I love to see new Christians. I love to give them the milk of God's word and I need to feed you. But then there's another stage and that is you begin to feed yourself. You don't depend on me to what I'm doing up here on Sunday morning or Wednesday nights. You don't depend on me all the time. You begin to feed yourself. And then when you're through at that stage, you come to the place that you feed others. Now you need to ask yourself the question, where am I in that list? If you've just been born again, great, that's wonderful. Let me feed you. When you've learned something from me, start feeding yourself. When I've given you the tools that you need and some understanding of the word of God, you begin to feed yourself. But don't just feed yourself forever. Don't just continue to get, be that fat little baby. And if you've been saved for very long, you need to start feeding others. You need to start sharing this with somebody else. Well, some of you, you do come week to week to church. Thank the Lord that you do. We praise God for everybody who comes to church. But when you get here, you've been coming for weeks and all you really do is you sit and you soak. All you do is you come and you receive things, but you never minister. And so you're sitting in the pew and you're saying, feed me, feed me, feed me, give me, give me, give me, give me all the time. And you're never giving it out to anybody else. You know what most Christian lives are like? They're like a stagnant pool of water. Have you ever seen a farm pond? You know, back when I was in Kentucky, the farm ponds usually had no outlet. And so they were just a stagnant pool of water. The cows would go down there and they'd walk around in the pond and they'd stir up the mud. The cows would do their business in the farm pond. When I was a kid, we didn't care. We just took our clothes off. We ran down there and we jumped in the pond. Couldn't see the bottom and it was murky and nasty. I'd never do that. I'd never do that now. I didn't care about it then, but I wouldn't do it now. And you know, that's the way that a lot of Christian lives are like. They're, they're, they're like a farm pond. They're just nasty and murky. They're stagnant. But what you really need to be is like a body of water that has an inlet and also an outlet. And that is when you receive things, take it in. That's good. Receive it. Take it in. But also be a person who lets that out to other people. Share it with other people and then you won't become a stagnant Christian. But that's the way carnal Christians are. Well, here's a third way to tell if you're a carnal Christian. Number three is that a carnal Christian is unhappy with others who disagree with them. So a carnal Christian is a divisive Christian. This is somebody who likes to argue all the time. I mean, they've always got their opinion. They have to state their opinion. Now, Paul says here in in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Do you know that a carnal Christian acts like a natural person most of the time? You can't often tell the difference between a carnal Christian and a natural person. Carnal Christians don't get too concerned about people that are dying and going to hell. A carnal Christian can walk into the church here on Sunday morning and shake everybody's hand out there in the vestibule, have a smile on their face, and they come around the curtain and they see somebody sitting in their seat. And it changes things. 
Well, they're not happy about that at all. Carnal Christians are people who like to be mentioned in the bulletin. And they're going to get mad at you if you don't mention them. And they'll just nit, nit, nitpick you to death over little things that don't really matter. So a carnal Christian, he he's, tends to fits of pouting and a temper tantrums. And he's a, he's a kind of Christian that if he doesn't get his way, he knocks his head against the wall. He throws a fit like a little bitty brat. You know, sometimes I see it when I'm preaching. A few weeks ago, I was uh, giving a, I don't know, I was giving some accommodation to someone. And uh, I was talking about how this person was involved in something and I, and I really appreciated them being involved in it. But what I failed to do was to mention the other person that was also involved in it. And I saw this little cloud of steam rising in the back of the auditorium because that person was not mentioned also. Well, here's the thing about a carnal Christian. They must receive their due. And if you do unto others, you must do unto them. Pun intended. That's the way a carnal Christian is. Well, here's the thing about what I'm trying to tell you today. All of us at one time or another, we've backslidden. If you're a Christian, you've gotten out of fellowship with the Lord. It happens to all of us. And, and many of us, I mean, we, 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 we're carnal Christians at times. But the question for you right now is not, have you been a carnal Christian? I want to know if you're a carnal Christian right now. Are, are you somebody who's receiving spiritual truth? Are you growing in the church? Are you serving God? You're a Christian that just gets upset over all the silly little things that go on. You know, I've met a lot of happy lost people. Talked about that a minute ago. I've met a lot of happy natural people. But one person that I have never met that's happy, I've never met a happy carnal Christian. A carnal Christian is the most miserable person in the world. The most miserable person is a Christian who's out of fellowship with God and not serving God and is not in his will. Why is that? It's because a natural man does what comes naturally, but a carnal Christian is not doing what God has designed for him to do. And so he's not happy inside the church with a Bible in his hand. He's not happy outside of the church with a beer in his hand. And that's because the lost man, the natural man, he does what comes natural. But the carnal Christian is just simply not doing what God has designed him to do. Well, I hope you're not lost today. I surely do hope that. I hope that you're not a natural person. But I also hope that if you're saved, that you are not a carnal Christian. I hope that you're not. Because there is a better way. There's something better than just being a natural person and doing what comes naturally. And there's something better than being a carnal Christian who is being led by his flesh all the time. Because there is one more type of person we're going to talk about today. And that is the spirit-filled Christian. A spirit-filled Christian. Now, many of you here, you are familiar already with spirit-filled Christians. And the reason you know about it is because for weeks and weeks and weeks, I've been preaching about it on Wednesday night. We've been talking about what does it take to be a spirit-filled Christian. Well, Paul's also talking about here, talking about in 1 Corinthians. Look, look at 1 Corinthians 2, verses 15 and 16. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yea, he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of of Christ. Let me go back to one verse we read earlier in Hebrews chapter 5. The writer there said, but strong meat 
belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, look very closely at that phrase, reason of use. A spirit-filled Christian is one who constantly uses God's word. So what does a spirit-filled Christian do? First of all, he meditates on the word of God. He's constantly thinking about the word. He studies it. He prays about it. Whenever he makes a decision, he always consults God's word and God's will. In Psalm chapter 1, David said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate both day and night. Remember a few minutes ago I said we all enter into the Christian life exactly the same way. We come in as babies. Well, this is also true. When you enter into the Christian life and you are born again, you also receive those spiritual receptors that I talked about a moment ago. Every person who is a born again child of God, you now have the ability to understand God's word and you understand the spiritual matters and you can see that spiritual world that's out here. But what it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you are yet mature because we're not all mature Christians. It takes time for people to grow. Now, again, some people think, well, I'm a mature Christian already. And they charge out there and they're ready to take, you know, charge hell with a water pistol, as they say. I'm a spirit-filled Christian. When I was a kid, I had one of these, and maybe you're familiar with them. It's one of these uh, water-propelled rockets. And you put water into it and you keep pumping it and you keep pumping it and pumping it. Fine, you let it go and it shoots way up. But it's not long before that rocket runs out of water. It's being propelled by the waters. It goes up when the water runs out. Then the rocket falls back down to the earth like a rock. And that's the way many Christians are. They start out with a big bang in their Christian life, but they never got grounded. And so they fizzle out and they fall just like a rock. Anybody here ever heard of a man by the name of Bob Harrington? Maybe some of you. Bob Harrington was known as the chaplain of Bourbon Street. Several years ago, he gained a a lot of notoriety. He was ministering to people in New Orleans down on Bourbon Street, people that were involved in the nightlife there. And uh, he was a very dynamic preacher. And people would come to hear him, and he, he gained a huge following, had a big ministry. He produced records where you could listen to his preaching. He was invited on all the uh, talk shows. He even had a talk show of his own for a while. But it wasn't long before the bright lights and the money and the allure of what was taking place, that began to get to him. And what happened to Bob Harrington, he was never grounded in the truth of God's word. And so he went up like a flash but he came right back down like a rock. You know, that happens a lot of times to celebrities. You, you, you hear all the time or you read in the paper about some celebrity that's finally found God. They found God and they become Christians. And all the mega churches, they have that person come and speak to them and they give their testimony. And what a great testimony they have. Here's the person that was out in the world, the bright movie star, but now they found God. And wait just a little while. Wait just a few weeks. And those people never get grounded. And you know what happens? Their faith doesn't amount to anything. It's all gone. A spirit-filled Christian is one who gets grounded. He meditates on the word of God. Then also a spirit-filled Christian operates with the mind of Christ. 
In other words, he thinks the way that Jesus thinks. In verse 16, Paul says, but we have the mind of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, he wrote, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. How do you have the mind of Christ? Well, if you go on reading Philippians chapter 2, Paul explains what Jesus was like and what kind of mind he had. It talks about how that Jesus was equal with God and yet Jesus was willing to submit himself to his heavenly, to his heavenly father. And Jesus was willing to go to the cross to become a sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus is the example of what a spirit-filled Christian is like. A spirit-filled Christian is one who will be submissive. A spirit-filled Christian is one who follows where God wants him to go. He's not thinking about self-promotion. You'll never be a spirit-filled Christian if you're an arrogant type of person. Now, if you're the kind of person who says, oh, I didn't get recognized today. Nobody mentioned my name. I I need to get my name out there. I need to be heard. I demand to be heard. I've got my opinion, and it's my right to express my opinion. If you're like that, you won't be a spirit-filled Christian. Then finally, thirdly, a spirit-filled Christian is one who demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit. I said that a natural man does what comes naturally, a carnal Christian does what comes unnaturally, and a Spirit-filled Christian does what comes supernaturally. The measuring stick of a Spirit-filled Christian is not how they act. Would you be confused about that? You think the way that you measure Christianity is the way people act? And there are many preachers that are concerned about the way that you act. And so they give you rules to follow. The measure of a spirit-filled Christian is not the way that you act. It's the way that you react. See, the way that you act, you can program that. You can have all the rules and you know you're supposed to keep the rules and you can follow them exactly. But what if somebody throws a monkey wrench in the works? What if something comes along you're not expecting? Well, the true heart of a person, what's really down deep in his heart, that's revealed in the way that he reacts to negative situations. And so the spirit-filled Christian reacts with a, as a person who's been filled with the fruit of the spirit. Years ago in Kentucky, in our church in Kentucky, we had a man that um, I knew for 25 years or more. He was a man that I believe was a spirit-filled Christian. He was not somebody who liked to toot his horn, and, and uh, he, he wasn't somebody that had to stand behind the pulpit all the time. He wasn't somebody that was regularly noticed. He was the treasurer of the church for many, many years, and he was a man that I never heard anybody say a cross word about him. I never heard him say a bad word about anybody else. He was somebody who was always there for church services. He came, he sat in his place, he came out on visitation, he came to church services, he came to revivals, he came to all the prayer meetings, and there was not a single person that wondered, is he a spirit-filled Christian? Everybody knew it. He didn't have to tell anybody about it. He was a spirit-filled Christian. I've been in California now almost for 11 years. In that 11 years, I've met one person that I really believe is that kind of man like I met in Kentucky, a spirit-filled Christian. Now, I pardon me if I don't mention your name and you're not the person that I have in mind because I believe Berean Baptist Church has a lot of spirit-filled Christians. But there's someone who comes to my mind that reminds me of that man I knew for so many years back in Kentucky. You know who he is? 
His name is Grant Evans. Grant Evans. Grant Evans is not somebody who's up here every week speaking from the platform. And Grant Evans is not somebody, you know, that's walking around saying, hey, you need to meet me. I'm Grant Evans. You know who I am? Grant never did that. I've never heard Grant Evans say a crossword about anybody. I've never heard anybody say really a crossword about him. He is well spoken of and he speaks well of others. I consider that to be a spirit-filled Christian. Now, I don't fit the bill, I don't think, in the way that I would like to. I mean, I'm not as spirit-filled as I would like to be. I know this, though, what I've learned from Grant Evans. You don't have to be a seminary graduate to be a spirit-filled Christian. You don't have to be somebody who, who, who can quote the Bible backwards and forwards to be a spirit-filled Christian. A spirit-filled Christian can be a carpenter. He can be a plumber. He can be an electrician. I think Grant's probably all of those things. <laughs> a spirit-filled Christian can be a professional fisherman. really doesn't matter. The thing about a spirit-filled Christian is you just know it. You can look at that person and you just know it. Galatians 5.22 says in 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The thing about spirit-filled Christians is that the world can't really identify them. The world really doesn't understand how a man like Grant Evans really knows so much about the Spirit of God. Because he doesn't have the seminary training. He doesn't have all those things. He hasn't been to a Bible school, I don't think. He doesn't have all those things. And so the world can understand, well, how can he know about being a spirit-filled Christian? Well, again, it's in the way that you react to situations. Look at those verses we just read. How do you react against an enemy? You do it with love. How do you deal with a miserable world? You do it with joy. How do you cope in a restless world? You have peace. How do you deal with people who try your patience all the time? Long-suffering. That's what the fruits of the Spirit are. So do you see how it works? You don't actually have to tell people about it. It's just in the way that you react to things that go on around you. Now, my, my, my question for you as we close today is what kind of person are you? Are you a natural person? Just doing what comes naturally? Well, I hope you're not. I hope, I hope that you'll understand you need to be born again. You need to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior because Jesus said if you're not born again, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Are you a carnal Christian? Well, if you are, it's time for you to start growing. It's time for you to stop being fed and begin to feed other people. Start giving of yourself. Start enjoying the ministry and working in the ministry. And my third question for you is, are you a spirit-filled Christian? And my answer to that one is, you don't have to come and tell me. I already know it. And everybody else already knows it. And so I want to say to you, don't stop what you're doing. Keep on doing what you're doing. Be a great example for us so the rest of us can see what it means to be a spirit-filled Christian. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the time we've had to spend together around your word. I ask you, Lord, that you might speak to people's hearts today and help us to understand the, the, the greatest desire that we have is to follow you, to follow your word, and to be spirit-filled Christians. Help us to give up all these petty little differences that exist among us. 
Help us to have those fruits of the Spirit that are spoken of in Galatians chapter 5. And then, Lord, I also pray for that person here today, someone who doesn't know you as Savior. They're still the natural person. They haven't been born again. Speak to their hearts. Give them that spiritual receptor that they need so they might understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Bless in this invitation today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.